As humans, we often struggle with context when it comes to our faith and regularly fail to apply the Word of God in our daily lives. Verita's podcast is a weekly Bible study led by Rev. C.B. Samuel and through it, we try to understand and locate the roles we are called to play in the world we live in by delving into the teachings of the Holy Bible. We welcome you to join us in learning more from the Word of God and in learning how to live out meaningful lives as Christians. Thanks. We are looking at the Holy Spirit uh, in the scriptures, especially in the Old Testament. And last week, we started by looking at uh, Holy Spirit in the book of Isaiah. Now, a day before yesterday, I was um, in a meeting when somebody was referring to the COVID situation. And uh, they were talking about how... uh, they realized, many people who got COVID realized uh, how important uh, breathing is or the fact of breath, which we take for granted. And uh, I've heard that from so many people, you know, how when they got COVID and especially those who were admitted and the fact that uh, they had to struggle to breathe and uh, the desperate condition they were in, uh, you know, because of a lack of breath or lack of uh, ability to breathe in uh, or breathe out, whatever it is. And yesterday I was talking to somebody whose aunt died uh, in, you know, she was uh, in the hospital and the fact that uh, she uh, had to, you know, the machine which they had put for oxygen uh, there was some problem with it. And by the time they could rectify, she died because I think without that, she was so dependent on that thing and she could not breathe. And they're talking about the importance of breath, which uh, we all uh, on paper agree, uh, but actually we don't realize still we go through situations where we hear about people who have had problem with breathing. And uh, of course, whether we like it or not, we may not recognize the importance of breathing, but we can't live without breathing. You know, it is something that uh, is normal for all of us and the breath we take in and, you know, take, you know inhale and exhale. And uh, when we talk about the Holy Spirit, on the other hand, the Fact is that we know that as far as the Bible is concerned, the Holy Spirit is very significant. Without the Spirit, there is nothing called uh, a person who can work or believe in Jesus Christ. It's not whether you agree there is a Holy Spirit or not, but for the Holy Spirit to work in us. And I remember attending a conference many, many years ago, and uh, there was a Korean pastor who was addressing us at the conference. And he said, uh, you know, when he was young, when the church in South Korea was beginning, you know, the church in South Korea came as a result of a great uh, movement of the Holy Spirit. And uh, most of the people, whether they are Presbyterian or whatever denomination they have in Korea are very largely charismatic, you know, Pentecostal. The strong emphasis of the spirit. 
And he was telling us how uh, when the whole uh, Korean church movement started, his senior pastor, you know, sent him to the U.S., uh, because they have heard about the American church and how uh, in the world the American church is, uh, stands out for its kind of the leadership and the number of churches. So they sent him to the U.S. to go around and meet with people in the American church and leaders and get to know the finer points of being a church and an effective church and missionary church. So he said he traveled around and uh, he had come back from the US having learned a lot of lessons. And so when he had come back, he met with the senior pastor and the council of uh, the elders of the church. And he reported to them what uh, he had done and what he had learned. And then he said, he also told them that the one thing that he could not understand, you know, in the traveling to the to the America to America and visiting all the churches, is how much the American church gets done without the Holy Spirit. You know, they said he said they were you know very very active. They got so many things done, but he, what surprised him is that he was wondering as to how much they got done without the Holy Spirit, going from the South Korean background of Holy Spirit and praying and things like that. He realized that the church in America was largely very uh, well managed and uh, there was no need of the Holy Spirit at all. Now, what he said to us there is not just true about the American church, but I think it is true about most of the churches uh, all around the world. And uh, at least when the, during the COVID time, because of the virus, we realized the importance of breath and breathing, even though we may not have recognized it and acknowledged it before, we could not have survived without breathing, without breath. Uh, but on the other hand, it's interesting how even though the Bible says that without the Holy Spirit, there is no uh, follower of Jesus. Because Jesus said, if you remember Romans 8, we saw what Paul said when he said that uh, if you don't have the Spirit of God, you do not belong to God. It's very simple teaching. If you don't have the Spirit of God, you don't belong to God. And you do not belong to Christ. And uh, Jesus said, you know, you can bear no fruit unless you remain in me. And so the language is that Jesus told the disciples, you know, you wait in Jerusalem and you receive the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is what directs you. And the Holy Spirit does, as we saw in Romans 8 and in John chapter 13 to chapter 16, it, it plays a very important part. We are, as followers of Jesus, we are what we are in the spirit. And uh, many times we ask ourselves a question. I ask the question to myself. If tomorrow morning the Holy Spirit is removed 
from the earth, you know, would we know the difference? Would we know the difference? We may continue doing like the, like the, like the king in the Old Testament, King Saul, who suddenly realized that the spirit had left him because he was disobedient to God. But he continued in the position of being king for many years after that, even though the spirit of God was not upon him. He functioned as a king. He performed all the roles which were required, but he didn't have the presence of God in his life. The spirit had left him. On the other hand, David was the one on whom the spirit had gone to dwell and he knew the importance so much so when David did something that was inconsistent with God's values and he realized that he had done something which is wrong his one prayer was take not the Holy Spirit from me and of course we live in a time because of the New Testament covenant God's Holy Spirit will not be taken away from us but the truth is that we perhaps can function without the spirit actually, you know, directing us. We have learned what it means to be, you know, doing all that is right according to the requirements of the scripture without doing anything which is directed by the Holy Spirit. And so I think that is one of the important reasons why we need to go back to the scripture to constantly ask ourselves, what does it mean? How do I know that what I am doing is that which is directed by the Spirit? And last week, we started looking at Isaiah. As I said, Isaiah is one of those very important books in the prophetic literature, which talks about the Holy Spirit. And we looked at chapter 11 of Isaiah, and we looked at the first nine verses and we identified characteristics of the servant or a person on whom the spirit comes, you know, as to what happens. So we come today to, I want to continue looking at other passages in Isaiah and continue to see what happens when the spirit is in us. And the passage that I want to look at is at first is Isaiah chapter 32. And in Isaiah chapter 32, again, there is the teaching about the Holy Spirit. And it says in verse 15, you know, the prophet Isaiah talks about God's punishment on the people of Judah and uh, what's going to happen. And he says in verse 14, the fortress will be abandoned, the noisy city dis deserted, citadels and watchtowers will become a wasteland forever the delight of donkeys, a pasture for flocks. He says about total destruction that would take place. And then he says, till the spirit is poured on us from on high. And then he begins to give us certain characteristics of what would happen. And he says, firstly, he says, and the desert will become a fertile land. And the fertile land seems like a forest. One of the images in the Old Testament about when God restores his people and the and is largely done through the working of the holy spirit is that the wilderness will bloom there would be a flourishing of god's creation the flourishing of god's creation 
because god you know god's restoration is not just restoring humans but the restoration of everything that is around so when the spirit is poured on us the desert will become a fertile land and the fertile field seems like a forest it's just overflowing it is not just you know grow there is life but there is life abundant some bible scholars would say the imagery is not only about creation flourishing which is very strong in isaiah but also it is about barren lives lives which were meaningless lives which were actually dry lives which were more like a desert will become fertile field and the fertile field seems like a forest a very important part of understanding what happens when the spirit comes that's why a spirit filled person one of the characteristics is that their life is a life in which there is evidence not of dryness and meaningless as it would have been before but now there is a kind of freshness that happens not a freshness in terms of an appearance we are talking about but we are talking about a freshness of life and he uses the desert will become a fertile field and the fertile field seems like a forest and this is not something that we can actually pretend to have because there are times when we go through difficult situation and the way we respond in terms of the freshness that is within us is largely the work of the holy spirit you know these days we you know are times in which there are a lot of concerns for prayer and uh, selina and i were talking about a friend of ours who is going through a difficult time you know but she doesn't come through as going through difficult times her husband has been sick right through the pandemic you know you know he has been having problems with his kidney and he had to go for dialysis and it increased from two days a week to more than two days a week now i think it's three days a week and a few and because of the problem uh, you know of his health one by one things begin to fail and she has to take him to the hospital and many times when i send a message to her or i call her she's actually in the hospital she takes him there and while he's having his dialysis she is sitting waiting for him for at least 4 hours so imagine three times in a week 4 hours all that she does now perhaps they allowed her into the hospital otherwise she used to be sitting in the car park you know and waiting for him for 4 hours and catching up with her own work and uh, and not only is that health issue but because of the covid what happened is his particular business which was all outside work it is not something where you can sit at home and work you know he had to work with many clients you know it required and suddenly all of them stopped the kind of work they were doing and so he did not have any more uh, business and it affected him badly because not only was there no more business but he had a lot of staff and he had to send them home one by one 
And to make things worse, he then wanted to sell off his assets, which he had for this company because they had they were a company which had to use a lot of these assets for their work. And now they decided to sell it and they could not find buyers and you know the place was a rented place. So they, it has gone, you know, it has affected them so badly in terms of all the money that they have. But whenever I talk to her, you know, the wife, or I chat with her, she brings in a kind of an expectation that, and a kind of a picture of somebody who survives with the grace of God. And, uh, you know, and I think it is very important when we go through these difficult times. And what it says here is that the spirit makes the desert become fertile and the fertile field seems like a, like a forest. The second thing it says, and we saw it in chapter 12 again, the emphasis on justice, the Lord's justice will dwell in the desert and righteousness will be will and righteousness will live in the fertile field it's not just the flourishing that the author talks about but god says because the spirit is upon us what happens is in the context of the freshness there would be justice and righteousness a very important emphasis again because the characteristic of a spirit filled person is always that of doing what is just and also a life which is morally right. You know, justice and righteousness will live in the fertile field because many groups talk about flourishing, you know, and uh, talk about prosperity, talk about all those things which are materialistically, you know, God gives us. That is true. That is true. Many places I have seen how people's lives have changed in terms of their own livelihood and economy. Communities in rural part of India, I've seen how things have changed for them since they came to Christ. It's not that Christ you know, gave them blessings from heaven, but small things I have seen. For instance, in community in Jharkhand, where we were involved, we found that the coming to, of Christ to Christ and the people, they actually, they used to spend a lot of money on drinking. And what happened is they stopped. That was the first thing, you know, because the community, the missionaries who worked among them, you know, emphasized that. And so they had savings. Earlier, they used to spend the money on themselves. They will, whatever income they had, they will spend it before they give it to their home. Now suddenly the, the money that came into the value, into the house changed. There was money available. And so then they were taught on being good stewards of what they had given. So the land which they had, they worked on it. And then what happened is, you know, because of the work of the community, the you know, workers who worked among them, they also trained them, educated them in using of their skills on how to market things in a way that they will not be exploited and the life improved. And I remember visiting the community a few years ago and I was surprised how they have changed. Yes, economic prosperity 
is part of it. But it's not that, you know, you give more money to God, God is going to give you money. That's not how it is. Their work ethics changed. The caring changed. And so there was, but what shocked me was that in spite of the flourishing that I saw, what I realized is that things that were affected was the doing of justice among them. That had not changed. In fact, I sometimes feel because they were more dependent on each other and not on money, there was more justice earlier. But now what has happened is each one began to seek their own prosperity. The community started declining. People were no longer committed to each other. And that was the sad part. And I think it largely depends on the kind of teaching they received. And what happened is the righteousness or what I would call is the rightness as far as God is concerned. Jesus said, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of God. You know, you'll be the least. So the moral rightness is not a part of it. But what, when the Holy Spirit is on us, what happens is there is a balance between the flourishing we enjoy and the doing of justice and righteousness will be, there would be a balance of it. Because we find many communities which are economically and materially doing so well because their work ethics have changed because of the gospel of Christ. But on the other hand, their commitment to justice and morals seems to have declined. And I think that could be because they have learned the skill, but they have become so controlled and directed by wealth rather than the Holy Spirit. And then it goes on to say that in verse 17, the fruit of righteousness will be peace and the effect will be quietness and confidence forever. It says such a community, which not only flourishes, but a community that is committed to justice is a community in which there would be peace. And peace is not simply, you know, a kind of a no disturbance environment. That's not what it is. It's a community in which there would be shalom because very clearly where there is righteousness, there will be peace and its effect will be quietness and confidence forever. A community which enjoys that peace of God in relationship with one another relationship with creation and it says my people will live in peaceful dwelling places in secure homes and in undisturbed places of rest and you know it says God's work is like that the Holy Spirit creates a kind of a flourishing a commitment to justice a commitment to righteousness and what is very evident is the fruit of all this is the peace that the person has. Because peace is not a standalone in the scriptural understanding. It's part of this package of a holistic life in God. Let me move on. The next passage that we, uh, you know, I want to look at, which talks about the Holy Spirit, is Isaiah chapter 42. And in Isaiah chapter 42, it again talks about justice. And so central is the fact 
that when we talk about the Holy Spirit, we can only do it as knowing fully well there is a strong relationship between the Spirit of God and the doing of justice. The doing of justice. Isaiah 42 says, verse 1, Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bluish reed he will not break or a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the island will put their hope. A very strong emphasis about the spirit of the Lord on the servant. We've seen that the servant is the Messiah, the one who was going to come. And Jesus said, I will give you the spirit. And it is almost the same characteristics. When the spirit comes, he will bring justice to the nations. You know, because a spirit-filled life is a life in which we bring justice in the nations. And the way, and two important things it says about it, he will not shout or cry out or raise a voice in the street. It doesn't mean that he will bring, to bring justice, that he will not be a voice. That's not what it is. But in the whole area, is the, the impression is that it is not something which is about catching the attention of the people to the servant himself. You know, the servant does justice in a way that it doesn't seek the attention on the, on the servant. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. And the second thing is that a bluish reed, he will not break. A smoldering wick, he will not stuff, snuff out. In bringing justice, he will be very sensitive. At the end of the day, in his way of bringing justice, he will not destroy the victims. He will not destroy the community for whom justice is being brought. He says, he, a bruish reed, he will not break. There's a sensitivity in the way that a spirit-filled person works for justice. And then it says, in faithfulness, he will bring forth justice. He'll be committed to this task of bringing justice. And he will not give up. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching, the islands will put their hope. That is what it is. It is through the teaching of justice and doing justice, the spirit-filled person actually brings hope into the world. A very strong emphasis, again, about what happens when the Holy Spirit comes on a person. And that is why it is so sad these days when we hear about spirit-filled communities, communities that claim the presence of the Holy Spirit in their life are found wanting in their commitment to actually doing justice in the world to act on behalf of the marginalized. Yes, they act on their behalf. They talk about the flourishing aspect. 
And unfortunately, it is totally out of context. It's not balanced. And the next thing that we notice is in Isaiah 43. I'll look at two more references and then stop uh, you know, looking at these references. We can come back to it with questions. Isaiah 43 and verse 3. It says, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry grounds. An imagery again of the Holy Spirit as that which is given to us as streams on the dry ground. And that is what Jesus said in John chapter 7. I remember referring to it last time, I think, or the time before that, when John Jesus talked about the Holy Spirit. And let me see the reference here, John chapter 7. And uh, Jesus was speaking to the people on the day in the festival time, in the festival of tabernacle in Jerusalem. And it says here that on the last and greatest day of the festival, I'm looking at chapter 7 and verse 37, Jesus stood and said in a loud voice, let anyone who is thirsty Come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. You know, the strong teaching of Jesus that if you drink of him, you will never thirst again. And instead, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And then John says, by this he meant the spirit whom those who believed in him were later to receive. Up to that time, the spirit had not been given since Jesus had not been glorified. The imagery of the Holy Spirit as streams of living water flowing out of us. And Isaiah 44 says in verse 3, I will pour out water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. They will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar trees by flowing streams. He says, God says, I have, my Holy Spirit will be given to you and not just you, but on the generations to come, your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. The Holy Spirit is not someone who is given to us for one time, you know, experience. But the way that the Holy Spirit is given to us in the New Testament is to you and your family, to your household, your children's children. And so the Holy Spirit's movement, as long as we walk in obedience to the Holy Spirit, as long as we experience the Holy Spirit, you will find it is not something that we enjoy just for one generation. It is so infectious that it goes beyond our generation to the next generation to the next generation. That is the characteristic of the Holy Spirit. That is the characteristic of And that is why it grieves not just my heart, but I believe God's heart. When we hear about leaders who were so good, but what happens is that they did not bring their family in the ways of God. Because that is something that is a flaw 
on the scripture because the Holy Spirit, he says, is on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. This last week after we came here, we were talking about a family, uh, a person who was a well-respected Christian leader who we knew very well. And, uh, you know, he had passed away recently and we were talking about him, uh, you know, because he had blessed many lives. But unfortunately, when in my talking to people about him and asked, where are the children? How are they doing? You know, and uh, what I heard was very sad. You know, he has two children who are living and uh, both of them settled, married, but they don't talk to each other. They don't just like each other. And uh, so much so they have not seen each other. And the question is, what went wrong? What went wrong? And we see this over and over again because we know of many Christians, pastors and Christian leaders whose children have walked away from God. You know, perhaps they prayed for their children faithfully, but they didn't live a life. Because families, you see the inconsistency. And what the Bible says here is that God's Holy Spirit is not just on you, on your offspring, and my blessing on your descendants. So many, and you know, it's just a fact, not just he's talking about children, you know, but our, you know, families around us. You know, my case itself, you know, I always look at it with gratitude to God. I came to Christ. I was the first one to come to Christ in my family. That was years ago, 1971. And then I shared the gospel. I shared the gospel with my brothers and my sister. And one by one, they came to know the Lord. One by one, they came to know the Lord. And then my parents came to know the Lord. And one thing I know is that is the character of the gospel. There, you know, of course, I'm not saying, you know, that is the pattern every family should have. But definitely in my case, because many people have asked me, you know, as to, because they know my two brothers and many of them here in Chennai know my sister and uh, they know how we are active in leadership. And so they said, your parents must have been, must have brought you up very well. Yes, they did. They must have been strong believers. I said, no, they were not, you know, but God worked. God worked. Yes, they were very committed morally, very strong in their ethics, but they didn't know Jesus. But what happened is I came to Christ and very soon my brothers and my sister came to know Christ and my parents came. And I think it is the important responsibility for all of us, whether we are married or single or with children, without children, to take God on this promise and work among our loved ones. Because especially during the COVID, one realization which many people had, you know, how many funerals I attended, and many times, everybody, almost every funeral, they'll say, you know, we will see our loved one again. Now, I think it's a good opinion, but it may not be true at all. Because if you have not brought your loved one to Christ, you're not going to see them. 
And there are many people who grieve because they lost the opportunity. Because the Holy Spirit says, I will do it. I will pour out my Holy Spirit on your offspring, on your descendants. And they will spring up like grass in a meadow, like poplar tree by flowing streams. You know, they would be enjoying the life of God. And I think it is very important to understand this aspect of the Holy Spirit. One more reference and then I will stop. Isaiah 59 and verse 21. And then I will next time, uh, or maybe if I have time today, I can look at one more verse because there is one more, only one more reference after this, which is about the Holy Spirit in Isaiah chapter 59. And it says here in verse 21, as for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you. And my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, on the lips of your children, on the lips of their descendants from this time on forever. The spirit of God, Isaiah says, God says, is the fact that I've given you the spirit and it is forever. The Holy Spirit will not depart from you. And not just the fact that you would have the Holy Spirit forever, but God's words will be put in your mouth. And because when the Holy Spirit, as we saw, is a spirit of wisdom and a spirit-filled person, a spirit-dependent person, when they speak, when they communicate, people will know there is something that is different in their words. He says, my words I have put in your mouth and it will always be on your lips and not just your lips, on the lips of your children and on the lips of their descendants. It would be the presence of the Holy Spirit will be seen in not just your generation, but in generations after you, where you have influenced. And I think, you know, it's very important for us to understand that a spirit-filled life is a life in which not only the life will be different, but words would be different. By your words, people will realize there is something that is different. And people who you influence, who you shape, you know, recently I was listening to, you know, the UESI was remembering the founder of UESI, Professor Enoch and his wife. And they were, I think Professor Enoch was a teacher, a professor of botany or, bio, or zoology, I'm not sure what subject. He was a professor at the Madras Christian College. And he felt strongly that he would, uh, God was asking him to share the gospel and influence students. And that is how the UESI was born. Professor Enoch with a few people, but it was Professor Enoch and his wife. And uh, they were a strong influence on students. And as I was listening to the Professor Enoch's life, there are a few people who, who know him, who are still alive. Some of them perhaps saw him when uh, they were young. And some people, in fact, knew him uh, and who are very old because, you know, UESI itself is 
more than 70 years old or more than 60 years old and they were celebrating recently. So they, those who knew Professor Enoch must be in their 80s. And uh, what was I was impressed with is the fact is that this couple, they did not have children of their own, but they their home was filled with young people. They had influenced so many people. You know, and people like, you know, one of the people who spoke and thanked God for Professor Enoch's life was LTJ Chandran, who many of you know, and there were many others. And I was just thinking, you know, this man with his words, which were filled by the spirit, influenced people and their lips has been lips through which God's spirit has spoken. And I think we need to take this very seriously in our time so that we know that the spirit has been given to us and our words, God's words will be on our lips. And when we influence people, when we shape people, they too, as Paul tells Timothy, entrust to reliable people who will entrust to others. And what will happen is this generation and next generation, we will produce people who will reflect the wisdom of God in their words, in their conversation. And so that, that, that's another thing that we see in Isaiah. Now, last passage, I think I still have time, so I look at that. Isaiah chapter 61, the passage which Jesus referred to when he was in Nazareth and he was asked to speak at the synagogue. It says he took the scripture and found the passage in Isaiah. Isaiah 61 in our Bibles. It says here, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. Because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim freedom for the captives, to release from darkness the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mounting, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins, restore the places long devastated, they will renew the ruined cities they have, that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will, be shep will shepherd your flock. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. You shall be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. You will feed on the wealth of nations and the riches you will boast. And on their riches you will boast. An imagery again of what happens to a spirit-filled person. The fact is that when the spirit of the Lord is upon me, your life is a life in which you're committed to liberating people. It talks about proclaiming the good news to the poor, to set free the broken heart, to proclaim freedom to the captives. The whole message of a spirit-filled life is, a spirit, is the message of freedom for all. We, through our life, we bring freedom into people's life. Jesus said, where the truth is, there is freedom. And later on, Paul says, where the spirit is, there is freedom. 
And that is what happens with the spirit-filled life. There is something about their life which helps people to be to break themselves from those chains that hold them, to liberate them. And it says here, to comfort those who mourn, those who are grieving. There's something about a spirit-filled person. They are not only people who bring freedom, they bring hope. They change the mourning into praise, as he said. They will be called oaks of righteousness. And there are people who are reconcilers. It says here, verse 4, they will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. There's something about a spirit-filled person who is actually a reconciler of broken relationships, a rebuilder, a person who is known for restoring and renewing. And that is what it is. If you are a spirit-filled person, you're not a person who people will look at and say, they are very destructive. You know, they go around, you know, there are people in the New Testament, Paul talks about people who are disruptive or destructive. They go around breaking people's relationships. But that is not what a spirit-filled person does. So these are the passages in Isaiah which talk about the spirit. And this that's why I said it's very important to know what the Old Testament talks about the spirit. So when you say a person is spirit-filled, definitely these are the characteristics. A person would be somebody who is committed to constructively helping people. Somebody who will restore, who will liberate. Someone who will actually bring hope, turn mourning into laughter because the spirit works through them. And so the prophet Isaiah's picture of the Holy Spirit is perhaps one of the main pictures that motivated and kept the people going in terms of their commitment and hope that the Messiah will come and the Holy Spirit will be given. I'm reading a book, interesting book. I think some of you must have read it uh, by Tom Holland called uh, Dominion. And, uh, you know, I've been wanting to read it for some time, but just that I didn't get time. And he was talking about the Old Testament and the place of the covenant in the context of the Jewish people. And, uh, and I was seeing how, how they kept hope alive uh, during the difficult times. And uh, just, I know this is in the first part of the book. I don't know how the book, uh, you know, the book is not about Jewish people. It was about the what shaped the Western mind or something like that. And but it's interesting to see how one of the important things is that the community held on to the prophetic message of hope. And that's basically books like Isaiah, which talks about the fact when the spirit of God has come on people, they would have a lifestyle that is so different. Thank you for taking time out and being a part of this Bible study. Veritas podcast is a podcast run by students and we upload every week on Wednesdays. If you find our content engaging and wish to know more, kindly subscribe to our podcast channel. Thank you for listening and we hope that you are blessed by this initiative.